are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News for the week of January 19th, 2023. My name is Gregory Haddock. For today's reading, we will be covering the following stories. The Long Way Home, our in-depth look at the housing crisis. Trickling up, how housing is becoming less affordable for more Coloradans. By Taylor Shaw and Luke Sarzecki, Colorado Community Media. Golden applies for $3 million grant for affordable housing project. Habitat for Humanity looks to acquire five-acre Excel Energy property by Corinne Westerman for the Golden Transcript. Arvada City Council holds executive sessions on homelessness, Jefferson Parkway by Riley Dunn for the Arvada Press. Wheat Ridge adopts affordable housing strategy by Andrew Fraley for the Jeffco Transcript. And following up with various articles. The Long Way Home, our in-depth look at the housing crisis. Trickling up, how housing is becoming less affordable for more Coloradans. By Taylor Shaw and Luke Zarczaki. A home means everything to Shelley Gilson, a 50-year-old single mother of three who works as a guest service agent at an airline. Quote, it's one word, priceless, she said. The rising cost of housing in the Denver area has made it difficult for her to afford a home. She spent years bounding around working for low pay, including to several affordable housing communities across the state. Eventually, more than a decade ago, she found a home at Orchard Crossing Apartments in Westminster. It is an affordable housing community that includes Section 8 housing, the federal government program that provides vouchers to low-income families, the disabled and elderly. From work to school to neighborhood events, the program has created a way for Gilson's family to be part of a community. With housing and communities comes resources, though not are created equal. Gilson explained that in her prior communities, predominantly lower socioeconomic status and people of color, it resulted in a lack of resources such as academic and mental health. That's why she moved to Westminster, where she has lived for 12 years. Quote, I wanted my kids to have a stable education and stable housing, she said. It's not just low-income residents who struggle to afford housing. Across the metro area and along the front range, rising inflation and mortgage rates, a long-term burning slowdown, building slowdown, and increasingly crowded cities and towns, have combined to create what some observers and experts say is a housing crisis. More and more people throughout the metro area are finding the cost of renting or buying a home eating up significant portions of their budget. Quote, That's the number one reason that people move, is they can't keep up with their rent and utilities payments, said Heidi Agler, managing director and co-founder of Root Policy Research, a Denver-based community planning and housing research firm. There's a term for it, cost burdened, which describes households paying more than 30% of their income on housing. A little more than 700,000 households in Colorado are cost burdened, most of which are renters, according to a November 2021 report from Root Policy Research. We've never done a very good job of housing extremely low-income people and families and helping to move them out of poverty, Aguilar said. We've never had enough resources to adequately address that, end quote. People who make $25,000 or less a year have long faced a housing crisis on some level, 
Aguilar said. But now the number of people who make more money are feeling the pinch of high housing costs is growing. It has become increasingly common for middle-income households with incomes of roughly $35,000 to $75,000 to, to experience cost burden, according to Rue Policy Research. As long as Colorado continues to be an attractive place for people to move to invest in and retire, Aguilar thinks housing challenges will continue. There are also too many options, too few options, for would-be buyers. Many find the cost of single-family homes beyond their reach, but have few options a step below that, such as condos. If you believe that Colorado will be a place that employers will continue to want to move to, then I think the outlook may not be good unless we accelerate production and density and fund housing at the level that is needed, Aguilar said. The cost of housing. Practically every community in the metro area is facing its own housing affordability and availability issues. South of Denver, in Lone Tree, Mayor Jackie Millett said there is, quote, a housing crisis. I think it varies in severity throughout our state, but I do think it is a problem that is affecting all of Colorado, she said. There's so much supply pressure on our market right now that we have then created this crisis. Not everyone is describing it as a crisis, but those who use that word point to the numbers across the metro area, as the costs of single-family homes and townhomes have skyrocketed. Northwest of Denver, in Arvada, the median sale price of a single-family home was $667,000. As of late 2022, according to the Colorado Association of Realtors, that's up by 71% from 2017 when the price was around $390,000. The story is similar in Brighton, northeast of Denver, where the median sale price increased by approximately $225,000 over that period. Littleton, south of Denver, saw an increase of approximately $300,000 in the price of a single-family homes from 2017 to 2022. Lone Tree saw an increase of $473,750. What we have seen is our housing prices doubling and our wages have not been keeping up, Millet said. From 2000 to 2019, median rents rose at a faster rate than median renter household incomes did. Quote, in every Colorado county and city with 50,000 plus residents according to Rue Policy Research. Many residents want a home of their own, Millis said. That was our ultimate goal, and that is also the way most of us accumulated wealth, she said. When the cost of buying or renting is too high, however, people cannot establish these roots, she added. Supply versus Demand one of the main causes of the rise in cost burden households and lack of affordable housing is that production has failed to keep up with demand. There was a 40% decrease in the number of homes built between 2010 and 2020 in Colorado, according to the 2022 Affordable Housing Transformational Task Force Report. Susan Daggett, Executive Director of the Rocky Mountain Land Use Institute, said the crash of 2007 affected housing supply. People left the construction industry, and many companies went bankrupt. The housing market bottomed out. People left the construction industry. A lot of people went bankrupt, she said. At the same time that housing development slowed, Colorado's population grew. Quote, in the meantime, the population has grown tremendously, and the supply just hasn't been able to catch up with that demand, Daggett said. In 2010, Colorado had a population of 5,029,196, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. By 2022, the population was estimated at a 5,839,926, a roughly 16% increase. 
As of June 2021, Colorado's for-sale housing inventory was 13% of what is needed for a functioning sales market, according to Root Policy Research's report. A functioning sales market means there are enough units so that people can move easily, such as being able to upsize or downsize, Aguilar said. To return the housing market to a functioning level, Colorado would need an average of 44,250 units built each year until 2030, according to the report published in November 2021. This would be 1.6 times the state's current production levels. Ted Lady, the CEO of Colorado Association of Home Builders, an affiliate organization of the National Association of Home Builders, said overall, depending on who is talking, Colorado is somewhere between 175,000 to 200,000 units short of demand. That's really challenging to come back from, especially, you know, the pace by which we were able to produce new housing in Colorado, Lady said. He hates to use the word crisis when discussing housing in Colorado, describing it instead as a major challenge. Lady explained that the challenge comes down to the five L's, lumber and other building materials, labor, land, loans, and access to capital, and local government. All have played roles in slowing down housing construction, especially since the Great Recession, leading to higher demand and decreased affordability. These are always our main cost drivers for residential construction, Lady said. All five of those right now, and have been, unfortunately, for the last several years, been huge challenges for us. He said high lumber costs and some supply chain issues have improved marginally recently, but they still pose problems for developers. Also, there is a labor shortage. We've seen a little bit of uptick in labor participation rate for construction, but not nearly enough, Lady said. We've got an aging, skilled labor demographic, and we haven't done a great job of replacing that labor with younger, skilled laborers. In addition to training the laborers of the next generation, Lady said, quote, sound immigration policy could help bring more workers to projects. There's a pretty big deficit, and we need to do all we can, policy standpoint and otherwise, to increase labor, Lady said. During the pandemic, there was a perception the housing market was hot, Lady said. Quote, it was the most challenging hot market ever on record. To source materials, to source labor, to get projects through the pipeline was immeasurable in how difficult it was, Lady said. The market cools. But there are signs the hot market is cooling. Lending issues have recently risen to the top of many homebuyers' concerns. Lady cites concerns for inflation, economic uncertainty, and rising interest mortgage rates. Imagine a $500,000 home that roughly a year ago a person could buy at a 3% rate, Lady said. Their monthly payment might be around $2,600. By July 2022, as rates rose to roughly 5%, the payment for the same house would rise to $3,500. That's an increase of more than 34%. Quote, so how do you get back down to 2600 You know, something that's more achievable for the average home buyer, Lady asked rhetorically. In December, rates on a 30-year fixed mortgage were more than 6.5%, according to Bankrate. Higher mortgage rates caused a spike in cancellation rates for home sale contracts last summer, reaching above 40%, causing further disruptions, Lady said. By the time the home was ready, or maybe even wasn't ready yet, they knew what their debt-to-income ratio was going to be and that it had increased immensely, and they could no longer afford it, so they canceled. By comparison, the cancellation rate was 13% in July, 2021, and 18% in 2019. Due to these high cancellation rates, it is likely there will be fewer homes on the market in the next few quarters, Lady said, further exacerbating housing issues. Yet Matthew Luprino, a spokesperson for the Colorado Association of Realtors, explained there's an upshot for some potential homebuyers. 
There are more homes available now than in years past as the market reacts to the changing economy. The story that I've been telling a lot of clients lately is, yeah, you can pay a higher interest rate now than you were paying a year ago, but you're paying $100,000 less for the house, he said. There are also more properties available now than at any time since October of 2019, he said. It's a better time to buy now than in the last three years, Leprino said. A balanced market's month supply of inventory stands at about four months. For the metro area, October 2022 was the first time that number hit two months or above since October 2019. The metro Denver area hasn't reached a balanced market for housing since at least 2014, when the Colorado Association of Realtors started tracking that data, and Leprino suspects it's been much longer than that. Quote, number one, houses are a lot more expensive than they used to be, Leprino said. Number two, there's not enough of them. The role of local governments in zoning. Local governments have played a huge role in the lack of housing supply and lack of affordability in Colorado, Lady said. He notes they play a role through their regulations, land use zoning, and entitlement process, and their fees. Zoning can be a significant factor in the housing issues people see today. Aguilar of Root Policy Research said, It refers to when a city or county divides its land into different sections and designates an intended use for each, such as industrial or residential development. Really, the problem, it's very simple. There's a scarcity of housing for people of all income levels. Set Pat Cronenberger, Vice Chairperson for South Metro Housing Options, the city of Littleton's Public Housing Authority. Colorado is a popular place. People want to be here, and we have restrictive zoning laws that really don't make it easy to build housing. And that's all contributed to high rents and big, skyrocketing home prices. She said, One of the more controversial zoning issues across the metro area is how dense a city can build. Quote, people are very afraid of adding units, very afraid of density, and I think probably overly so, Aguilar said. We should be zoning artfully in a way that preserves what we love about communities, but also provides opportunity for other people to live there. Lady said some local elected officials have expressed concerns that if they approve denser housing units, they could be recalled, quote, because there's so many people that believe we have, we're growing too fast. But the numbers belie all of that, he said. Our net migration is still positive, end quote. Net migration refers to the difference between the number of immigrants and the number of immigrants throughout the year. That's how you're going to attack this issue, right? Is allowing greater density. Taking down the land costs a little bit by being able to do more with less as far as more construction on less land, Lady said. Zoning plays a huge role in our ability to bring new product to the market. A lot of communities in Colorado are mostly single-family homes, resulting in lower density and forcing developments to sprawl out. While the dominance of single-family homes, many communities in Colorado face, quote, missing middle, meaning there are not a lot of diverse housing options such as townhomes, cottage courts, accessory dwelling units, and duplexes. Part of the reason for that is because of a policy change, Lady said. We made it really, really easy to sue for what they call construction defects on multifamily for-sale condominiums, he said. Multifamily for-sale condominiums went from roughly 20% of the market to about 2% of the market when going into the recession, Lady said. By 2017, it rose to about 12% of the market, and then the pandemic hit. If you kept that 20% pace of condominiums, you wouldn't be in the same situation you are now. You wouldn't necessarily be in market equilibrium, right? But you wouldn't be 200,000 units shy either. Lady said. Condominiums are a really important product, he said, as they provide places for young professionals and families to achieve homeownership 
and for empty nesters to downsize. Quote, that product has been absolutely missed in this marketplace, and it has certainly contributed to our inability to keep up with demand, Lady said. Lone Tree Mayor Jackie Millett said in 2004, she served on the city's planning commission and approximately 20% of the new buildings were condos. To my recollection in Lone Tree, we haven't seen one in probably 15 years. And the ones that are being built in the metro region are either, they're very, very expensive, she said. That was our supply of entry-level housing, and it is no longer being produced. Millet thinks the construction defects law played a significant role in the supply of entry-level housing market. She also knows of residents who wish to remain in the community and want to downsize, but cannot find any affordable options. Typically, Millet believes the markets should resolve the issues themselves. But in my opinion, the markets have been corrupted by a number of things, Millet said. And so I do feel at this point we must do something other than just complain about it, because we've seen it increase as a priority issue for our residents and our businesses. Quote, if we just keep complaining about it, which is what we've been doing, without taking any kind of action to increase the supply of housing that people can afford, the problem is just going to get worse. The long way home, examining the impacts of the housing crisis. People across the metro area are struggling to afford a place to live. Minimum wage earners might spend upwards of 60% of their paychecks on rent. Many millennials, now entering their 40s, have accumulated less wealth than prior generations and are struggling to find a first home they can afford. At the same time, those who might sell, baby boomers, are prone to hold on to their homes, unable to downsize in the supercharged market. These and other factors, including homelessness, a history of racial disparities where 71% of white Coloradans own homes, but only 42% of black Coloradans do. And a slowdown in building that began more than a decade ago during the Great Recession add up to constitute what some experts call a crisis in housing affordability and availability. Over the last six months, two dozen journalists, editors, and staff at Colorado Community Media worked to answer questions on why this is happening, how we got here, and what the solutions are. The work to find the answers carried our journalists across the front range to talk to mayors, housing authorities, experts, and most importantly, lower and middle class families experiencing the crisis firsthand. Our reporters and editors also held focus groups talking directly to prospective home buyers, like the single mom worried that another rent increase could land her in her car, and the real estate agent who understood the problems but worried about a lack of solutions. Over the next four weeks, Colorado Community Media provides an in-depth look at how the current crisis impacts our communities. In week one, the long way home breaks down how we got here. In week four, we look at how local, state, and federal governments are investing millions of dollars into a range of possible solutions, from helping the homeless to affordable housing programs. Contributors to the project include Michael DeYuana, Lisa Schlichtman, Thelma Grimes, Kristen Fior, Scott Taylor, Christy Stedman, Deborah Grigsby-Smith, Scott Gilbert, Deb Hurley-Brobst, Ellis Arnold, Elliot Winsler, Robert Tan, Riley Dunn, Andrew Fraley, Olivia Love, Corinne Westman, McKenna Harford, Taylor Shaw, Nina Jos, Haley Lena, Bellin Ward, Luke Zarzecki, Leah New, Ben Wiebesick. Wheat Ridge Adopts Affordable Housing Strategy by Andrew Fraley. Wheat Ridge City Council has adopted an affordable housing strategy that's been in the works since 2021, aiming to help ease the affordability crisis that has affected the city. Adopted in the January 9th meeting, the 73-page plan developed in partnership with CZB, a consulting consultancy agency that focuses on housing, gives context to the crisis by presenting data and an action plan for the city. 
A lead priority in the plan is creating a separate housing fund, the Wheat Ridge Housing Fund, to finance possible programs like helping renters pay their first and last month's rent to enter an apartment, a fund that council gave consensus to city staff to create in the same meeting. Along with searching for other one-time funding sources like grants, the WRHF will mainly be funded by a portion of the short-term rental lodging tax, which Deputy City Manager Allison Sheck estimated in the meeting to be about $375,000 annually. We've discussed over the past year a few times in study sessions that neither the private or public sector can build ourselves out of the affordability crisis, and we can't legislate our way out of it. Planning manager for the city of Wheat Ridge, Lauren Mikulak, elaborated, making a point about the need for the affordable housing plan. Quote, so the only way, and it states it pretty clearly in the strategy, the only way to close the gap between the housing costs and what households can pay is to identify financial resources. In terms of how to use the funds and what those programs to distribute those funds would look like, Mikulak said that the city's next, that is the city's next task. Looking at the plan more broadly, Council Member Amanda Weaver made the point of not wanting the focus to be purely on first and last month's rent help, for example, but to consider the additional problem of rent cost jumps, even from just one rent cycle to the next. Quote, I don't just want us to think about new residents, she said. Other priorities, high priorities in the city's affordable housing plan for the next year include amending the city's code to support affordable housing developments by changes in process, fees, and parking minimums, for example. Another later priority is creating a naturally occurring affordable housing preservation program, which gives grants to, quote, rental property owners to upgrade aging rental units in exchange for affordable rents. It's not just a reinvestment in the housing stock, but a reinvestment in our people, Council Member Rachel Holton said. Golden applies for a $3 million grant for affordable housing project. Habitat for Humanity looks to acquire five-acre Excel Energy property by Corinne Westman. Officials hope that one day there will be 125 Habitat for Humanity townhomes and condos on the Excel Energy property along South Golden Road, so locals can buy permanently affordable homes. While the idea is a long time coming, it also has a long way to go before it becomes reality. On January 10th, the City of Golden and Habitat for Humanity of Metro Denver took some of the first steps by applying for a $3 million affordable housing grant from the Colorado Department of Local Affairs. Only municipalities can apply for the grant, so if successful, the city will serve as a pass-through agency and reimburse Habitat for its work on the five-acre Excel property. The money must be spent by May 2024. Excel listed its property at 17805 South Golden Road for sale in June, and Habitat is currently under contract and scheduled to close in February. If all goes well, Habitat plans to start design work this spring, site demolition over the summer, and site development after that. Building 125 units will take several years. City and Habitat representative stated as the nonprofit hopes to rally community members for their help in building them. Habitat's goal is to turn the property into the city's first affordable home ownership project. The townhomes and condos will be one to four bedroom units and will be sold to households with an average incomes around 80% of the area median income. The nonprofit will place the property into a land trust so all subsequent owners will have to meet similar criteria to purchase from the initial owners, Habitat representatives explained to City Council. Quote, This development provides the opportunity to make a generational impact in Golden where homeownership is out of reach for low-middle-income households. Janet McCubbin, the city's affordable housing policy coordinator, stated in a memo to City Council. 
During the January 10th meeting, McCubbin described how DOLA officials are very excited about the application and the partnership between Habitat and the city. She emphasized that as Habitat proceeds with this project, it will have to go through all public processes for planning and zoning. That likely won't start until later this year, but Golden wanted to apply for the grant now because of the unique opportunity. This is how we, as a city, can help support affordable housing opportunities, McCubbin said of the DOLA grant application. Kate Hilberg, Habitat's director of real estate, said her organization knew the property was going to be decommissioned eventually and has been keeping an eye on it for several years. It's such a meaningful investment in Golden that we had to go after this, Hilberg said. Without the grant, it'll take us longer to get started, but it doesn't stop the project. Councilors wondered if the project is six, wondered if the project is successful. Who will decide who can buy a unit? Considering local firefighters, teachers, and other employees who need affordable housing, they wondered whether locals could have first preference. Hilberg answered that it's based on who gets their documents together first, saying Habitat can't specifically hold out any units for anyone, but it can market to Golden employees and residents first. Overall, the councillors were excited about the opportunity, with Councillor J.J. Trout saying that she and her predecessor on City Council have been watching this property for years. Given that it's close to transit stops, schools, grocery stores, parks, and more, Trout said it's a perfect location for future housing. Councillor Don Cameron said he gave Habitat a tour of the property a few years ago, adding, I'm stoked that it's come to fruition. However, Mayor Laura Weinberg reminded everyone how the grant application is the first step of many for the whole project. Habitat still needs to go through all the necessary steps regarding land use and development. She and the councillors emphasized, telling everyone who's interested in the project to stay tuned. Quote, I'm sure we'll be talking about this property for many meetings to come, Weinberg said, adding how she hopes the grant application is successful. Arvada City holds executive sessions on homelessness. Jefferson Parkway by Riley Dunn. Editor's note, Arvada's City Council held a discussion on homelessness on January 9th. Coverage of that discussion, along with input from community leaders not included in the study session, will appear in the January 26th edition of the Arvada Press. While Arvada City Council was busy on January 9th, they did most of their work away from the dais. In addition to their regular business meeting, Council held a study session on homelessness with members from the Arvada Police Department and City Team and engaged in two executive sessions, which are not open to the public. One executive session focused on receiving legal advice related to questions arising from the homelessness study session. The other was held for the purpose of receiving instructions related to Broomfield's withdrawal from the Jefferson Parkway project. City Attorney Rachel Morris said that the Jefferson Parkway Executive Session would see Council reviewing the proposed terms of a potential resolution between member entities. Jefferson County and the City of Arvada sued the City and County of Broomfield in June 2022. And Arvada Mayor, Arvada Mayor Mark Williams said at the time he hoped the dispute could be settled before going to trial. Council also unanimously resolved to have the Arvada Police Department join the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority, Metropolitan Auto Theft Task Force, also known as CMAT. Quote, in 2016, a number of agencies in the metro area entered into an intergovernmental agreement to form the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority, Metropolitan Auto Theft Task Force, or CMAT, Gillis said. CMAT's goal is to enable participating agencies to more effectively investigate, apprehend, and prosecute criminals involved in auto theft and auto theft-related crimes. CMAT also includes the cities of Aurora, Inglewood, Lakewood, and Wee Ridge, the city and county of Denver, the first and second judicial districts of Colorado, 
Adams, and Arapaho in Jefferson counties, and the state of Colorado. The perfect storm. Many factors led to today's housing crisis. By Deb Hurley Brobst. Kim Howard of Evergreen has been in her 2,600-square-foot home for 40 years. Now alone, the 70-year-old is looking to downsize and move closer to Denver. But she can't find a smaller home with the same or lower mortgage payments. She feels guilty staying because she knows the house is perfect size for a young family. But she's staying because she can't afford to move. Rising interest rates in the last year aren't helping since that increases monthly payments on any home she could buy. I'm going to wait it out, because it has to make economic sense, Howard said. I can't afford to move, and that puts a damper on those who want to move in. We need more affordable housing for retired and first-time homebuyers, instead of large, expensive homes that we can't afford. I feel kind of guilty. Young families are desperately looking to start their lives, and we senior citizens can't afford to move. Unless someone provides for those first-time home buyers and for seniors who want to downsize, it's not going to happen. Howard's story is typical of the issues faced by many of the metro area when it comes to housing. While it seems like the crisis came on suddenly, it cannot be attributed to one moment or incident. Instead, think of it like the spokes on a bicycle wheel with the center being the current housing situation. Each spoke contributes to rising costs and shrinking availability, starting with the Great Recession that began in 2007. The loss of builders and labor, the dichotomy of home ownership between baby boomers and millennials, and more recently, the pandemic, the consequences of the Marshall Fire and the popularity of short-term rentals. Couple all that with population increasing in Metro, Denver, and it's a recipe for disaster for many. Higher home prices, increasing number of unhoused, lack of places to both buy or rent, frustrated home buyers, and more. A perfect storm has combined to create what many experts say constitutes a housing crisis throughout the Denver area and into the foothills, from Brighton to Empire and everywhere in between. It's been brewing since the Great Recession more than a decade ago that created a harsh economic downturn, pushing skilled workers who built homes out of their careers. It's been exacerbated by a rising younger population and part-time residents who converted residents in some of the state's most attractive settings into vacation homes, the skyrocketing costs of homes and entry increases in interest rates. There's no incentive in the traditional market structure that we have around housing to build for those who are struggling economically, said Phyllis Resnick, executive director and lead economist for the Colorado Future Center, an independent, nonpartisan, academic nonprofit. We think the housing market is feeling unhealthy for folks because housing that is affordable to lower middle to low income households is still very difficult to find and isn't probably being built at the rate it's needed. Great Recession The metro area's housing challenges start with the Great Recession that began in late 2007, part of a national trend where the housing market crashed. Before the recession, rising home prices, loose lending practices, and low interest rates were the norm. When the economy soured, many homeowners could not keep up with their payments, prompting a rash of foreclosures. According to real estate data com company RealtyTrack, 6.3 million homes went through foreclosure in the United States from January 2006 to April 2016, more than double the norm of around 250,000 foreclosures per year. According to the Colorado Department of Local Affairs, from 2006 to 2016, Colorado saw 299,775 foreclosures. With foreclosures came a glut of available homes that flooded the market, according to real estate agent Gay Ribble with the Ribble Group, a real estate firm that offers home buying services across the metro area. 
In the Denver metro area at the peak of the recession, 45,000 homes were on the market, Ribble said, when a balanced market is roughly 10,000 to 12,000 homes. As a result, builders were reluctant to get back in and buy land, buy materials, pay wages, and build. All the capital expenses they incur before selling a single home, said Tupper Briggs with Madison & Company Properties, a real estate agent for more than four decades. They did not add to the supply of housing for years. In other words, Ribble said, Builders stopped building homes because of the glut, and some builders went out of business because of the lack of work. Loss of tradespeople. The Colorado Futures Center bears out what Ribble noticed. A 2018 study by Resnick and Jennifer Newcomer, research director, examined the factors contributing to the growing cost of housing in Colorado. Much of it could be traced to the Great Recession. The de decrease in units built after the recession was linked in part to limited amounts of developable land, rising material costs, and little incentive to build entry-level housing, according to the study. A bigger issue turned out to be the closure of several local construction companies and the related issue of shortage of labor and specialty trades. Labor was short. It was a mixed story on materials, and there were some regulatory barriers. But I think we came away thinking that part of the biggest problem was we lost a lot of people in the development and building ecosystem, Resnick said. According to a 2014 report published by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, housing before, during, and after the Great Recession, construction industries experienced significant job losses from the recession. From 2003 to 2013, for example, the residential construction industry experienced a 26.8% decrease in employment, which the report said was precipitated by the recent recession. The report also showed from 2003 to 2013, the number of businesses in the residential construction industry decreased by 10.8%. Lone Tree Mayor Jackie Millett said she thinks the recession absolutely impacted the growth of housing. The bottom fell out on the market, the tradespeople. We lost people in the trades. We didn't have people coming into the trades, and we lost that time, Millett said. And it's, you know, cyclical, so we have been playing catch-up ever since then. Ted Lady, the CEO of Colorado Association of Home Builders, said the Great Recession made a lot of people more cautious, including banks, lenders, and builders. There were fewer land developers coming out of the recession, he said, so more builders have had to become their own land developers. Quote, their access to capital and their cost of capital has increased greatly since the recession, Lady said. Ribble added, not only every year are we lagging in home construction, but we were never able to make up for six years with no new construction. During that time, population continued to increase, end quote. Population growth, interest rates. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the seven-county metro area has seen a substantial rise in population in roughly the past decade. Douglas and Arapahoe and Adams County each grew by more than 80,000 people, with Jefferson County gaining more than 45,000 people. When the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates to, the United, to move to the United States out of the Great Recession, many more people who wanted to buy a home could. Rates remained low as the economy rebounded. That increased demand across the housing market. As demand rose, prices across the metro area began to skyrocket, creating a crunch. Fewer homes were available and many people were simply priced out of the market. Real estate agents interviewed by Colorado Community Media agreed that the Federal Reserve should have increased the ultra-low interest rates to keep the market more balanced. Baby boomers, millennials, and short-term rentals. Adding to the housing challenges is stagnation. Baby boomers, those nearing retirement age and older, aren't leaving their homes. Meanwhile, millennials, some now new to Colorado and in their 40s, are looking to get into their first home and sometimes even a second home, such as a short-term rental that can be used for both vacation and added income. Boomers, many of whom are empty nesters, aren't downsizing for many reasons. While some simply don't want to move, 
Others want to downsize but can't find a good deal on a home in the community they want. According to Jackie White, a real estate agent in the Conifer and Evergreen area for nine years, if a baby boomer sells a home for $1.5 million, that person isn't going to find a home about half the size for $750,000. That doesn't feel good to them, White said. Add to that, because of low inventory of homes, kids can't afford to buy homes in the communities they grew up in. So there are fewer multi-generational families in one community. Kids can't easily check in on their parents. Many, many millennials can't afford homes that are for sale. They eventually will change as baby boomers are forced to sell as they age, White said. As Ribble noted, in 18 years, this issue will resolve itself because baby boomers won't be in their homes any longer. But at that point, some millennials will be in their 60s. For that generation, the dream of home ownership is still alive for many, Briggs said. The millennial demographic is larger and more powerful than the baby boomers, Briggs said. They are the bulge in the snake, and we are baby boomers are sitting on our homes getting old and not moving. Short-term rental ownership is becoming more popular, especially among millennials. Close to 50% of buyers in Clear Creek County ask if it can be a short-term rental, said Josh Spinner, longtime Clear Creek County real estate agent. More recent issues. The COVID-19 pandemic brought a new trend. Many people were able to work from home, and some decided to move out of urban areas to more scenic, less populated towns, real estate agents said. Whoever would have thought home prices would have gone up during COVID? Spinner asked rhetorically. Who could have predicted that? In addition to artificially low interest rates, we had a lot of artificial stimulus money. It defies logic that prices would go up in a pandemic. The Colorado Futures Center study agreed. Quote, the disruption of COVID and the almost complete lack of market churn really distorted supply with respect to what was available for sale, Resnick said. We believe, and we're still working through all of this, that was a con somewhat significant contributor in the run-up in prices. Briggs said the transition to people working remotely wasn't an easy one. The seeds of remote work were there before COVID, he said. People started looking at their living arrangements and decided they wanted an office in their homes. They discovered if they worked remotely, they could work where they wanted. They decided to get out of the city and into the suburbs or bedroom communities. Quote, they no longer were commuting, commute-oriented in making home-buying decisions. Instead, they were quality-of-life-focused because they were able to do that. That created a surge in people moving from one place to another. The COVID-19 pandemic didn't help, Millet and Lone Tree said, as well as the subsequent supply chain issues. Quote, the demand has continued to increase that whole time, and supply has been falling further and further behind, Millet said. When you don't have enough supply, price goes up, and that's the space that we're sitting in. Then, toward the end of the pandemic, the Marshall Fire in Boulder County took place, burning 1,100 homes. That added to the situation. Many families looking for temporary or permanent housing, further depleting the number of homes on the market. Building homes. City and county planners say they are seeing more builders wanting to build residential developments recently, but they are facing several issues. There's a housing shortage because we can't get enough homes built fast enough, Chris O'Keefe. Jefferson County Planning Director. In Jefferson County, we have a lot of land, but not a lot of land that is shovel-ready. He noted that it doesn't help when members of the community don't want new high-density residential development near them. Recently, we've seen some areas where developers have wanted to rezone for higher density, O'Keefe said. The community sometimes is not supportive of higher density. In Clear Creek County, little developable, little, little developable land is available, and most of the building permits are for single-family homes. Over the last 20 years, building permit applications that we are seeing for single-family homes indicate that homes are getting larger and more expensive, said Fred Rollenhagen. Community Development Director for Clear Creek County. We are not seeing as many smaller or middle-class type homes like what we saw 20 years ago. Lakewood, for example, also doesn't have large parcels available for residential development except in the Rooney Valley along C-470, 
where a residential development is under construction with plans for 1,200 homes when complete. As a first-tier suburb of Denver, our vacant land is minimal, said Paul Rice, manager of planning and development assistance for the city of Lakewood. Other than the Rooney Valley, there are not a lot of development opportunities that are easy. Quote, a developer has to work to make a project successful. Lakewood is not an easy place to develop. Most everything is redevelopment. Developing land is a matter of aggregating property to create property that can be redeveloped. What's to come? A 2022 analysis from Newcomer and Resnick on housing affordability in Colorado found that the share of affordable housing affordable to people making the median Colorado income dropped 25% between 2015 and 2020. That same research found that statewide housing process would, prices would need to fall by 32% to return to the affordability levels the state saw in 2015. Market correction alone will not restore relative affordability without considerable market pain, the 2022 analysis concluded. Newcomers said it wouldn't be easy for the housing market to become more balanced. We do need to find ways to build essentially a parallel market that's incentivized differently, Newcomer said. The normal constructs of housing development and the full market don't incentivize doing anything differently. We have, especially with this disruption because of the pandemic and supply chain issues, these elevated costs from material goods to labor and so on. It's going to be really hard for those to come back down in the overall market environment now. When projecting what housing production may look like in 2023, Lady said a lot of it depends on mortgage rates. Will we see a recession? What will we see that necessarily starts to bring down the federal fund rates and then, you know, brings down the mortgage rates? Lady asked, highlighting the uncertainty of the future. The Colorado and U.S. economies are projected to avoid a recession in 2023, but, quote, the path for continued expansion is narrow. And a wide array of unforeseen shocks could push the economy into a downturn, according to the Colorado Legislative Council staff's December 2022 economic and revenue forecast. Lady thinks 2023 may start slowly for home builders. Builders, they'll move cautiously on land acquisition until there's probably more clarity, especially in interest rates, he added. Real estate agent Briggs thinks the relationship between home buyers and sellers is changing. Quote, although we'll probably see more price negotiation in specific transactions, housing values will not decline overall, and there certainly won't be a crash, Briggs said. But the days of multiple offers and over-asking selling prices are numbered. We can also expect it to take longer to sell as buyers sharpen their pencils when considering an offer. Low rate of pay. How minimum wages are failing to keep pace with housing costs. By Andrew Freely. In recent years, minimum wages have slowly increased, with Denver reaching $17.29 an hour, and the suburbs surrounding the city being lower based on the state of Colorado's minimum of $13.65 an hour. While workers have welcomed the increases, apartment rental prices have outpaced those gains for workers with almost 60% of a minimum wage worker's paycheck expected to go to a landlord. That's the highest proportion in a decade, and a calculation that doesn't include other expenses, such as utilities. We've seen over the years that the minimum wage actually erodes over time and periodically has to be readjusted, said economist Marcus Schneider. Schneider, chair of the economics department at the University of Denver, said these cost of living adjustments to the minimum wage do help workers. Both Denver and the state make adjustments to their minimum wages. But despite increases, the adjustments don't completely stave off the consequences of rising inflation and skyrocketing housing costs on low income workers. Even after a decade, workers are still forced to dedicate too much of their salaries to housing. And it's only worsened. A living wage is what is needed to keep up with the cost of living, 
the quote, very fine line between the financial independence of the working poor and the need to seek out public assistance or suffer consistent and severe housing and food insecurity, according to MIT's living wage calculator. MIT describes it as, quote, minimum subsistence wage. For the metro area, that living wage is $19.62, well above the state's minimum wage and even Denver's. The cost of living adjustments that both minimum wage rates are tied to is called the Consumer Price Index, a, quote, positive step in the right direction, according to Schneider. At the same time, the minimum wage is below a living wage, Schneider said. It's at best going to keep it in proportion. That means the disparities won't grow as badly as they could, but will not still not keep up with a living wage. In 2010, the state minimum wage was $7.24 an hour. Rent for a studio in the metro area was $638, according to U.S. Housing and Urban Development Fair Market Rent Data. That came out to half of a worker's wages, which the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, a nonprofit that aims to end the affordable housing crisis through policy and data research, deems unaffordable, as if as is anything upwards of 30% of wages spent on rent and utilities. The coalition considers paying upwards of 30% as placing workers at the risk for homelessness. By 2023, the situation had only grown worse for minimum wage workers. While their wages rose to $13.65 an hour, metro area studio apartments' rents hit $1,390, meaning workers have to pay almost 60% of their wages to keep a roof over their head. Part of the gap between the index increases in rent is inequality, Schneider said. CPI is calculated by looking at how much change there is in the average price of household items, food, energy, rent, electronics, and more, weighted by how big that category is in the household budget. This calculation is for the entire metro area, though, with different parts having different wages and costs of rent. The CPI can become skewed for some. Quote, the CPI for Colorado is going to be very responsive to what's happening in Denver just because that's the big population center. Schneider said, we know that Denver has actually had a hotter housing market and housing is a big component of what that living wage means. However, higher minimum wages do not cause rents to increase in his view. Quote, there's really not much evidence for it. In the ranges that we're talking about raising minimum wages, he said, if we raise it by a factor of two or even five, then yes, that's probably a big thing. But we're talking about just getting closer to a living wage. I'm very skeptical that it's a big effect. Quote, certainly not a big impact on the price aspect, because even when people get up to that living wage, it's really only going to impact relatively cheap housing and relatively bottom end of the rent market. You'll see some of those rents go up a little bit, but the average rent in Denver isn't going to budge much, end quote. This leads to CPI not adjusting enough for the lowest wage earners in the metro area and not keeping up with their rising rents. As Schneider said, the adjustments are better than nothing, but still do not set a minimum wage workers earn to, a, to earn a living wage. A goal that, since more than a decade ago, has only become further away. When people make more money, particularly at the bottom end, when we're talking about pushing poverty line, or at least well below the living wage, they're likely to move to a nicer neighborhood or closer to a nicer school, which means the rents in the places they were living won't be affected that much, Schneider said. According to MIT, a livable wage for Colorado is about $19.16 an hour, and the Denver-Aurora-Lakewood metro area living wage is even higher at $19.62 per hour. Current minimum wage in the state is far less at $13.65 an hour, with Denver's being $17.29. Both the state and Denver may be increasing minimum wage year over year to follow inflation cost of living, but they may never actually reach a livable wage when they are already so far behind. Colorado State's minimum wage and Denver's own minimum wage rise incrementally based on the Consumer Price Index, CPI. This is functionally 
a measurement of the cost of living, measured by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. It includes food, housing costs, transports, medical care and recreation, among others, all broken down to smaller parts like gas and electric bills. MIT's living wage considers many of the same categories but is stricter. The living wage is the minimum income standard that, if met, draws a very fine line between the financial independence of the working poor and the need to seek out public assistance or suffer consistent and severe housing and food insecurity, according to MIT's living wage calculator. In light of this fact, the living wage is perhaps better defined as a minimum subsistence wage for persons living in the United States, end quote. Their calculator uses fair market rents, FMRs, which, quote, represents the cost to rent a moderately priced dwelling unit in the local housing market, along with local utility prices to determine housing costs. According to the National Low Income Housing Coalition, NLIHC, a nonprofit that aims to end the affordable housing crisis through policy and data research, 